Good morning, church. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here at Plaza. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us here online. And uh, just a couple quick announcements before we jump into the text. And hopefully you have a Bible ready to dig in and study God's Word. We'll be in the book of Philippians. But a couple quick things. Just want to let you know, uh, we are excited to be preparing to reenter the building the end of March, Palm Sunday. And so information coming out in our email newsletters, if you don't sign up for those things, Great time to sign up for that. Also, you can text us. If you're brand new here, text the word CONNECT, and uh, you'll see some of the other keywords you can uh, connect with us on as well. We answer that. We can text you back. It's an awesome opportunity to stay connected to us, and we can stay connected to you. Also, a couple other things. It is covenant signing time, kind of new year, and uh, re-upping our membership. We want to keep your membership current. If you remember, last year you got a Resign the covenant every year, and so don't uh, hang your laurels on last year's membership. Be ready to make that commitment again this year. And so you should have received those, and there are digital copies as well, and uh, make sure you keep that current. And then also got a special family meeting coming up in just a couple weeks on Zoom, March 14th, and that is to uh, elect one of our brothers, uh, Donnie Gilmore, to the... position of elder here at our church, and we're excited uh, for that, and just thank God for him. We're asking for your prayers and your consideration as we uh, nominate that brother. And so, all right, we are ready to jump into the text. The title of today's message is this, Joy Killers, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 3, as the text was read earlier, verses 1 through 11, Joy Killers. We're going to find some things that are killing or attacking our joy. This week, I heard a very interesting statistic. Did you know that in Alberta, Canada, there are no rats? I didn't know that either. I just found that out. There are no rats in Alberta, Canada. Because it's too cold, you ask? No, not because it's too cold. Because the people of Alberta have decided they don't want any rats messing up their city, their town, destroying their crops, bringing diseases. And so they made a concerted effort to get rid of all rats. Now, I was in the pet store with my kids the other day, and um, we were waiting for another shop to open. And of course, the kids were like, let's go to the pet store, daddy. And this is not a brilliant idea to take small children into a pet store. But of course, we were looking at all the different animals, and we got to the rodent section, and my kids were checking out the rodents, and oh, dad, look at the, the mouse. Oh, he's so cute. Look at the turbo. He's so cute. And, you know, look at the hamster. Look, he's running on the, on the wheel, you know? And they were all excited about these rodents. And then they got to the rats, and all of a sudden, my kids were like, oh, dad, look at that. Oh, his growls getting away. And I I just had to ask myself this question. Why are you hating on the rats? What is so different from its other rodent cousins that two seconds ago you were like, they're so cute. These guys, the only difference I can tell is they got a long tail. And all of a sudden the long tail makes them creepy, but you like the other ones. Well, the people of Alberta uh, certainly felt the same way my kids did. They did not like those cats. So in the 1950s, uh, cats, rats, uh, they may not like cats either. I don't know. But um, in the 1950s, they passed a law outlawing anyone from having a pet rat uh, or anything like that, and no rats could be there. And so then they started putting uh, rat poison out all over the place so that no rats could come and destroy their their crops and their city. Uh, In fact, uh, they have been rat-free now for a number of years, Uh, although I heard a story that a guy uh, or someone uh, had released 28 rats um, in uh, Alberta, and um, 
the fine is actually $5,000 if you are caught uh, with a rat. And, um, and this person released 28 or so rats. And um, luckily, though, for the people of Alberta, they were on top of it. They don't like rats. They know this is part of their world. And, uh, man, they got those rats with the quickness. They got some broom handles, some shovels, some two-by-fours, and they took care of those 28 rats. They didn't get very far. And, um, and they didn't, never caught the guy. But if he did, he would have had to pay $5,000 for every, um, every rat that he released. That's a lot of money. And, and that is if the people of Alberta didn't get to him first with their uh, shovels and two-by-fours and brooms because uh, they might have taken care of that joker beforehand. So why are you telling me this, Pastor? Because rats are, are uh, d- destructive, and they are nasty, and they bring germs. And, uh, and so here's the question for you. <clears throat> what rats are, are, are in your life that are trying to destroy the good things that God is doing in you? What rats are trying to eat the fruit and destroy the crops, the good fruit that God wants to produce in you and on you. The Bible calls us as Christians, and, and, and it uses the analogy that we are to be producing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, and so the fruit of the Spirit comes off us. But a lot of times we can allow rats in our lives that will kill that fruit. It will kill our joy. And so the Apostle Paul here in chapter 3 is talking about a few joy killers, a few rats that will come and and just eat the fruit off of our lives and will steal your joy. And so we're going to take a look at the text here and jump in and and see what the Lord wants to tell us. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 3 and actually appreciate my brother, Pastor Jace from the Red Church, preaching last week. And uh, I gave him the the easy text and uh, I told him I'll take the hard text so we could rearrange our schedule. But I think he did a great job and uh, appreciate him so much and look forward to being over at the Red Church in a couple of weeks, actually, uh, to to complete the pulpit swap. But anyhow, chapter one, finally, my brothers, finally, my brothers, rejoice in who? The Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. It is safe for you or a safeguard. Why is he saying this? Because the whole theme, if you've been tracking with us or if you're new, the whole theme of the book of Philippians is about joy. And he says it again here in chapter 3. After he said all these different things, he says, finally, brothers, I want you to rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. We're calling this a letter from lockdown because Paul is writing from a jail cell and and very, I think, um, uh, you know, helpful to us in our context, you know, as if he is in quarantine, but the message is still getting out. The message and the mission is still going on, and we are still accomplishing God's work. But he says this, rejoice in the Lord, and it's no trouble for me to continue to write this to you. It's a safeguard for you. It's safe for you. And he wants to safeguard us from things that will rob us and steal our joy. And so point number one, you can write this down, is here's the first thing that will steal our joy. Number one is this, legalism. <clears throat> Legalism. Legalism is the first thing that will steal our joy. This is a big deal. In fact, Paul is going to repeat this phrase here and, and challenge them. He's going to repeat it three times. And, um, and we're going to get into what is the definition of legalism in just a second. But look at the text with me. Verse number two, it says this. Look out for those dogs. Maybe he would say rats, too. Look out for those evildoers. Look out, the third lookout right there. 
for those mutilators of the flesh. Let's just pause right here on this verse and, and see what's going on. What is he saying here? This look out, look out, look out. And uh, I love that the ESV, this translation, uh, includes that because it's, it's a very much a literal translation. Some translations have just truncated it, made it and just made one lookout or one watch out. And, um, but see, Paul, in a literary device of ancient times, he didn't have emojis to put in his messages to the churches. Uh, he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and he's telling them to watch out for these joy killers, these particular people, these false teachers, often called Judaizers, who would come into the church and try to lead people astray. And, um, and so he's saying, look out for these people, watch out. And so he didn't have emojis to emphasize text. He didn't have caps lock, right, that he could put all capital text. No, so a literary device that ancient writers would use is they would repeat something, often three times. And when you saw it repeated three times, you knew the writer was really trying to get your attention. So he says, look out, look out, look out. Watch out for these things, these dogs, these mutilators, of the flesh, and we'll talk about uh, what, what that means, these evil doers, and he's warning them. And Paul, again, is a joyful guy, but now he's warning them about this false teaching. And, um, and this really first false teaching that he warns them about is legalism. Let me give you a definition of legalism. It's as simple as this. Um, it is an attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ, an attempt to add anything to the finished work of Christ. Or you could just put it this way in short form. It's Jesus plus something else. Instead of just Jesus alone as the means of salvation, Jesus alone as the way to eternal life, Jesus alone, no, no. See, legalism begins to add rules and regulations and religious things. So it's Jesus plus something else. An article written in Christianity Today um, says this, legalism exists when people attempt to secure their righteousness in God's sight by good works or good deeds. Legalists believe that they can earn or merit God's approval by performing the requirements of the law. They quote author Tom Schreiner, and he says this, a legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God affects their salvation. Legalism focuses on God's laws more than on a relationship with God. It keeps external laws without a truly submitted heart. Legalism adds human rules to divine laws and treats the human rules as divine. It's Jesus plus something else. Legalism is, listen, listen carefully now, legalism is not the presence of rules, not the presence of laws, because God's word is filled with laws and commandments that he gives to us, and they are guardrails to safeguard us, right? Just like a road has lines on it, keeping you in the right lane so you don't crash into somebody else. And so the presence of God's laws and commands, because he calls us to live righteous and holy, the presence of laws is, is not the problem. It's the elevation of those laws saying that if you do not perform these things perfectly, then it affects how God feels about you. Oh, no, beloved, I want you to know that God feels the same way about you on your best day as he does on your worst day. His love is constant. His love isn't like any other love in the world. His love remains the same in and out, day and night. 
on our, on our uh, days when we feel like a super Christian, in our days where we, we have turned our backs on God. God remains faithful. And legalism is, is this idea that you have to do all these other things in order to gain God's approval. No, no. Because of Jesus Christ, you already have the full, complete approval of God. Those who have Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't have God's approval. Um, you have the opposite of God's approval. You have his wrath because your sin is still there. But Christ is inviting anyone, uh, man, woman, child, boy, girl, or any, any background, doesn't matter what you have done, he's inviting all to come and receive that free gift of forgiveness. And, uh, and so legalism, though, places something else. So it's Jesus plus church membership. And listen, we believe in church membership. We're doing a covenant sign-in, re- renewing our membership. But that doesn't get you to heaven. That doesn't put you in right standing with God. You could be a church member and be on your way to hell and have no relationship with God. So it's not Jesus plus church membership. It's not Jesus plus baptism. We believe in baptism, and, and we believe people should get baptized. The Bible says that. But that doesn't make you a Christian just because you get baptized. Uh, some people would say Jesus uh, plus tithing, and we believe in tithing and giving and being generous, but it's got to come from a heart, and so that tithing doesn't get you to heaven. Some people say it's Jesus plus obedience to uh, all these different commands. If you don't dress this way, and if, and if, you, don't, uh, if you listen to this kind of music or you watch this kind of TV, then, then your salvation is in jeopardy. It's Jesus plus this, uh, this belief in a particular theology uh, about the end times or uh, about this issue or about that issue. It's Jesus plus something else. No, the Bible teaches Jesus and him alone is the way of salvation and how we receive God's love and unmerited favor. So there is nothing else. Uh, it, some people say it's Jesus plus their denomination. I am Catholic, or I am Lutheran, or I am Baptist, and, and you got to have one of those. And no, it is Jesus alone, not Jesus plus something. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of who? Of God. And we glory in Christ Jesus. And put, watch this, no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. That's an incredible statement. You might want to underline that. We're going to stay actually just on that verse there, verse 3. And um, what, what is he saying here? These Judaizers, who he called mutilators of the flesh earlier, what was their big deal? Uh, and he, he points to it's we who are the circumcision. These Judaizers were saying, hey, listen, if you want to be approved by God, you have to be a Jew first. And so in order to be a Christian, you got to become a Jew first. And the way you announced that you were a Jew, if you weren't ethnically a Jew, is that you had to be circumcised. And so uh, these various churches were all across the globe. Many people who were Gentiles, non-Jewish of all different nationalities were like, what? We got to do what? Uh, can you imagine all the men getting ready to go to the new members class? You know, kind of like, honey, um, you know what? I don't th- I'm just going to wait in the car for a few minutes, right? Um, you know, if these guys are saying I got to get circumcised here, I'm just going to uh, sit out here and pray about this for a little bit, right? And, um, and so, listen. Uh, they're, they're trying to add, hey, listen, you have to um, become Jewish first and, and, and follow all the Jewish laws and regulations. And, and Paul says, no, we, we already are the circumcision. What does that mean? That means we're set apart because we have the Spirit of God and we don't put any confidence in our own deeds and our own actions. It is Christ alone who can save us. Now, verse 4, verse 4 says this, <clears throat> Though I myself, Paul, 
I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have what? More. I have more. And so Paul is reminding you, see this phrase here, no confidence in the flesh. These people put their confidence in the flesh or in their deeds or or in their pedigree or in their achievements. And he's going to say, this is not the way, their religious performance. So Jesus plus anything else will leave you joyless because you'll be trying to complete this list, a checkbox of a Christian must do this and must do that and must, 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 must. No, a Christian must simply surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and he takes care of all the rest. That's what a Christian does. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Jesus plus anything else will leave you broken. And any system, any church, any religion that requires you to do something else in addition to Jesus is probably a cult and they are trying to abuse and control you. So watch out is what Paul is saying. Watch out, watch out, watch out for these things. The Bible is very clear of how salvation comes to any person, regardless of your background. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. It is by grace. That's a gift. It is by grace. Grace is a gift. And it is by faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And then if we didn't get that, verse 9 goes on to say this. Not by what? Not by works. So that no one can boast. So look out for this rat. Look out for this thing that is trying to steal your joy, this, this legalism of trying to complete all the rules and all the checklists, uh, because if, if you chase that thinking that God will finally approve me when, when, I, when I do this at church, if, if I become a deacon, if I become an elder, if I, if I start serving at church, if I can finally start giving, then God will love me uh, more. Uh, no, listen, God loves you completely. Now listen, you should be walking in obedience to God. You should be walking in host and doing the things the scripture plainly teaches you. But no, you do that from a position of already being loved and accepted. You don't ever do that for acceptance. Are you with me? Type, look out in the chat. Look out, look out, look out. Put three of those in there. Look out, look out, look out. Make sure y'all are still awake. See, you know, a lot of times in church, I can see when folks nod off and I got to help them wake up. I got to make sure you're, you're waking up there. So type, look out. So the second rat, the second joy killer is elitism, elitism. Elitism is this idea that because of your uh, race or because of your ideology or because of your background or because of your achievements, there is a small group of people who are better than others because of your nationality, because of your race, because of your achievements, because of your ideologies. You are better than another group of people. People begin to put their identity in these things. And Paul is warning us, listen, and, and, and he's saying, listen, there are rats out there and there are things you don't put any confidence or any trust or any hope in these worldly things, these achievements. And so legalism is putting our hope and our trust in our religious achievements and our religious pedigree. Elitism is putting them in, in worldly things, things that the world often values. And so some examples Paul is going to give us and he's going to give us his pedigree. Remember uh, earlier he said, you know, if anyone thinks... They have a reason to put their confidence in their achievements or their flesh. I have more. And so look at Paul's pedigree in verse 5. says this. It says, if, if anyone thinks he has you know, reason for confidence, I have more. Verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day. Now, I wouldn't put that on my resume. 
Uh, but, but Paul thought that was important to, to put on. And again, to the Judaizers, that was important, man. Eighth day, that was the day the law prescribed it to be done. My parents didn't do it on the seventh day. My parents didn't do it on the ninth day. I was on the eighth day, according to the letter of the law, down to the dot. I, I have these achievements. He goes on to say this. <clears throat> I'm of the people of Israel. So I am Jewish, my nationality. I am ethnically a Jew. Then he goes on to say this, not just ethnically a Jew, but I am from the tribe of Benjamin. If you don't know much about the Bible, Benjamin is a character in the Bible who comes from uh, sort of the, one of the first families of the Jews. And uh, his, he was, uh, his father had 12 uh, children, became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Benjamin was one of the favorites of the father, um, Jacob. And so uh, he's saying, I'm from the, the favorite tribe. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And then he goes on to say this, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? I mean, that's just a phrase. They're like, man, if anybody is Jewish, me and my family, we, we are, we, like, we go back to Abraham. Like, we are Jews of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he goes on to the law. And again, this is, uh, you know, sort of his pedigree and, and the things he's putting or he used to put his hope and trust in. He says, as to the law, man, I was a Pharisee. That was the strictest sect the strictest group of religious people. And, and man, they followed all the laws and they added laws onto laws and extra laws. And he says, man, with regard to the law as a Pharisee. And then he continues on in verse 7. He says this. No, I'm still in verse 6. I'm sorry. I was getting ahead of myself. As to zeal, so not only did I just follow the law, but as to zeal, man, I was a persecutor of the church. I used to persecute these Christians. And, uh, and so I wasn't just following the laws, but I was passionate, more passionate than anybody else. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Some translations say faultless. And like Paul drops the mic on his pedigree of achievements with, man, in regards to law, I was blameless. I was faultless. Like if anybody's got, or everybody wants to like compare, you know, achievements of what, what group I'm in, Paul says, I got all the check marks ticked. So legalism and elitism. We see elitism in our world all the time. People try to put their identity and think that they're better than others because of the sports that they play or how they play on the team. The starters versus the bench warmers, right? Or these athletes versus those athletes. And we put our confidence in our athletic ability. People put their confidence in their good looks, comparing ourselves with others, comparing our weight and our body styles with others. And, and we are an elite class because of our weight or because of our body shape or type. People compare themselves with others educationally. And, um, and because I have this degree or because I went to this school, I am now part of the elite class. I'm not like the average folks. No, because I went here and, and, uh, and I made this the letter grade on the test. People can put their hope and their confidence in that. And Paul is saying, this is a rat. If you put your trust in this, it will eat the joy out of your life because you'll be comparing yourself. And then there will always be another comparison and you'll always be striving instead of just resting in the love of God. Other people uh, put on their pedigree and their confidence list, their income, the neighborhood they live in, their social uh, economic status, or others even how many followers or likes they get on social media. And there is this constant uh, you know, stream of needing to get likes and more followers. And, um, and listen, this is things people put their confidence in. And it starts to build their identity. 
And when it's no longer there, guess what happens? Their joy goes right along with all the followers, with all the popularity, with all the fame, with all the loss of income because of a job change. And all of a sudden their identity is tanked and their joy is gone because it was found in a worldly place which was unstable anyways. And God is offering us a way more secure, a way better option to put our hope and our trust and to gain satisfaction that can never be taken away. And so it happens in all different places. It happens in racism. We see that in racism, you know, in white nationalism, that, you know, people are uh, saying they are elite because of their race. And we see that even here. Again, these Judaizers would often call Gentiles dogs. And, and, and Paul is using the same term for them as he said earlier. He said, man, they are dogs. And, um, and, and, it's, and these, are, these are ethnic and national identity markers. And these identity markers... Say, my nationality makes me better than your nationality. My ethnicity makes me better than your ethnicity. My race makes me superior and you are inferior. These identity markers shows us who's in and who's out. And this isn't just high school stuff, folks. This, this happens all over the place. Who is up here and who is down there based upon their race or ethnicity. And I have a great fear. And, and in fact, uh, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, there has been, uh, unfortunately, a ton of arguments, and I fear that uh, the, the SBC is, is going to implode on itself over this issue. In fact, uh, unfortunately, many of our African-American brothers and sisters have left the SBC this previous year because of an unwillingness to take stances against racism. And, um, and many of these churches have been faithful churches for years and have been working uh, side by side with us, but they have been heartbroken seeing that we are unwilling, or at least many are unwilling, to stand up. And so uh, it's kind of like uh, this national or ethnic identity um, is, is kind of like a VIP badge, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a concert before. You know, and someone gets the VIP tickets and they flash their VIP badge or they wear it around their neck and they got VIP access. They get to go backstage and talk to the artists or have a meal or, or, or you know, get special autographs. They get to go into a place where other people, the common folk, couldn't go. And this is this idea of elitism. Or if you remember TSA, right, uh, back when folks used to fly. I mean, I know folks are still flying now, but, you know, TSA, you can get a TSA pre-approved and you don't have to wait in that long line. You get to kind of scoot on ahead. You know, or, or the, uh, the quick queue at Busch Gardens or Disney World. You know, you pay a little extra. You don't have to wait in those long lines. And, um, and uh, you know, you got this ID badge that makes me somebody special. And so, again, it can happen because of your education, because your socioeconomic status. You can be able to put your confidence in these things. Listen, elitism can happen uh, with progressive political ideologies as much as it can happen with conservative right-wing ideologies. Both of them can start to practice this elite mentality that we are better than others. And so we must address these things, both of them, because they're wrong. Anytime we start pitting one group against another, this is not the will of God. And so we must address this, racism, elitism, classism, all these things, men versus women. And, um, and so we cannot stand for this. You cannot be right with God if you don't view your fellow mankind as image bearers of God. You don't have a right relationship with God if, you don't, if you're not right with people of all different backgrounds, of all different socioeconomic status, of genders. And so we can't put our confidence in these things. These are rats that will eat the fruit. Legalism, 
and elitism. I've got a box here of some things um, that I have often put my trust in. And, um, and, and what Paul is getting ready to say is, I've got something far, far better. And this brings us really to point number three. And point number three, we'll put it on the screen, is this, is that joy, true joy, only comes from knowing Jesus. Joy only comes from knowing Jesus. True joy only comes from knowing Jesus, not from our accolades, not from our achievements, not from our religious performance, not from our national or ethnic identity. True joy only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying, I've got something far, far better here. So Paul just gave us a list of all the things that he used to like pull out his sheet and puff up his chest and say, Oh, you're from this family? I'm from this family. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I've kept the whole law. Man, I, I not only kept the law, but I persecuted those Christians, you know, before he became a Christian. And, and, and he, he could puff out his chest and say, all these things were the things that, that I kind of walked around feeling better and superior than others. But watch what he says about the true joy he's experienced when he found something else. Look at verse 7 with me. Verse 7, he says this, but whatever... Gain, whatever gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Some people use the hashtag gains, you know, for gains for their gym gains or whatever, you know, gains. I got gains. And, uh, and, and Paul is saying here, whatever gains I had, man, they are, they are a loss. I will gladly count them as a loss for the sake of Christ. I will gladly lose some things. I will gladly say all these things. Man, it's not even worth having them anymore to have Christ. He is far better. Then he goes on in verse 8. Verse 8, he says this. Indeed, indeed, I counted how many things? Everything, everything, not just those things, but everything a loss because of the surpassing Worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, notice this is the second loss here. You may want to mark that, right? Man, indeed, I count everything, everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He's saying, man, I have found something far better than all the things I used to build my confidence in. I used to build my confidence in my job. I used to build my confidence in my achievements. I used to build my confidence in my religious performance or my ethnic identity. And now all those things I gladly lose because I've got Jesus. And man, that is a far better treasure. Notice what he says there, surpassing worth. Then he's going to say this amazing statement. For his sake, for his sake, I have suffered the what? The loss, again, the third loss here. I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, man, this is an incredible verse. What Paul is saying here is, for his sake, I have lost all of these things that I may gain Christ. In fact, I, I count all these things that I used to hold dear to me as rubbish, as trash. In fact, the literal Greek word is dung, and I'll keep it PG because uh, I know there's some kids watching here, but, but you can make the comparison for dung. Now, he's saying this, all this other stuff in my life that I used to put my confidence in, it, man, it is, it is trash. It's not even trash. It is dung. It's horse manure. 
That's what it is to me. It doesn't even come close to having Christ. I keep with me this box. Uh, I mentioned it a little earlier. I don't actually keep it with me. I keep it filed away because it has a lot of these things that I used to consider um, things that were my gains, things that, that I started to build my identity in. They're, they're not bad things. Oh, no. They're good things. Uh, but in this box, you know, um, uh, I have all these things that I started to build my identity on, and they're shifting sands. And then when I met Christ, all these things really became, I was glad to lose them. I have uh, this, this ring here. This, this, this isn't no ordinary high school class ring. This is a, uh, a boy's basketball state championship ring. And I used to wear this thing around, stunting around the neighborhood, you know, pop it out on the counter, let it make a loud noise so everybody could see that so they would know I am a state champion. Out of all the basketball players in the state, I was on the winning team. Oh, back in the days, I was so happy to put my confidence in that and puff my chest out. It's not a bad thing to win the state championship. Grateful for my teammates and my coach and uh, who is my dad. I mean, like, it was a great time. But I began to put my confidence in these things. I began to puff myself out and believe I was better than others. And, uh, and I began to build my identity in this. And then, you know, it could go on from the different awards and, you know, things that I would win, you know, from medals and academia and, um, you know, different plaques I got when I was in college working as a resident advisor, different plaques I got from running, uh, different plaques from, um, you know, uh, National College Honor Society. And all these things were things I used to cling on to that, that kind of helped me feel like I was worth something. They kind of helped me feel like I was somebody that made me feel like I had an identity, that made me feel like I could be approved. But, oh, but then I met Christ. And you know what? These things stay in the box. Not because they're bad. Not because I shouldn't be grateful for the achievements that God has given me the opportunity. But because my heart can start lurking and looking for identity in all these things. And, and like Paul, I have no problem Closing up the box and saying, man, these things I'll gladly trade to have Christ. I will gladly take all these things, and they are, they are but rubbish. They are but trash, and I will put them all in the trash because to have Christ is a far, far better prize. His surpassing glory outweighs all those things I used to put my trust in. And if you have found yourself, sir or ma'am, empty by the things of this world, you've achieved all your dreams, or you're still trying to achieve your dreams, I'm going to let you know you can get all, all the things in the world and it won't fill your soul. Do not put your trust in these things. This, the true joy is only found in Jesus Christ. He says that I may gain Christ. Look back with me at the text, verse 9, and he goes on to say this. Verse 9, he says this, and be found in him, that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but then he gets back to this. But that which comes through what? Through faith. That it comes through faith in Christ. Again, it's not by your works. The righteousness that doesn't come from me, the righteousness comes from where? Comes from God, and it depends on faith. And then it says this, that I may know him. This is one of our memory verses, by the way, from last year. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is he saying here? He's saying, man, to know Christ is far better than all these things. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I know that was mentioned earlier, and, and hopefully you had a chance to grab uh, the things you need there, some crackers or juice or whatever you have on hand. But listen, 
as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper and worship the Lord. But it is, it is this incredible reminder that, listen, it's not Jesus and the Lord's Supper that saves you. The Lord's Supper is this beautiful reminder that points us back to Jesus alone as our salvation, as our means of confidence. That we don't have to put confidence in any of the things of this world. Those things are but trash and rubbish and dung compared to the surpassing glory of Christ. So that the bread represents his body on the cross. The juice or the wine represents his blood poured out so that we could gain God's approval. We can have the full acceptance of God. Again, not because of anything we've done, but simply because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'd like for you to uh, grab uh, the cracker again, whatever you have on hand. And it's this reminder. Uh, And the bread symbolically represents the body of Christ that was given in our place because the Bible says this, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the payment we owed God was our very lives. The Bible says Jesus gave his body in exchange for ours. So I'd like for you to break this. If you need to distribute it to those in your family there who are uh, able to participate in the Lord's Supper, I ask that you do that. And as often as we take this bread, we show forth the Lord's death, his resurrection, but also his surpassing glory, that it far exceeds anything else. Let's take it together. If you have the juice or whatever, again, you have on hand, I want to encourage you to grab that again, a symbolic reminder. And that's why we we can use a variety of elements. That is uh, not necessarily important. Because what is important is Jesus and him alone. These are the reminders to point us back to him. The Bible says that this blood cleanses us from all sin. One drop is enough to cleanse the entire universe of its sin. His pure blood, righteous blood. See, blood had a a lot to do with the sacrifices that were given throughout the Old Testament. It was this reminder um, that, that man, uh, blood had to be spilled, and, and Jesus came with pure blood. Ours was infected with sin. In his blood, it says in the scriptures that his blood represents a new covenant, new agreement that God makes with us, that all those who would simply put their faith and trust in him. So go ahead and uh, grab that. And as we take the juice, we show forth the Lord's death, his burial, but his glorious resurrection. Let's take it together, family. And I'm so grateful that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper together. That reminder that Jesus literally paid it all with his body and with his blood. If you're watching today and you don't have this personal relationship, again, we're not talking about religion. Lots of religion out there. We're talking about a relationship. We'd love to invite you to begin that today. What does it take? Well, just as you saw in all the scriptures, it takes faith. That, that just means trust. Um, not, not just the head knowledge, right? Many people say they believe in God but a trust in God, that I, that I surrender my life, that I, that I lay down everything. I lay down all the treasures, all the things that I thought were worthwhile, and I receive Jesus as the surpassing treasure of my life. Man, I, 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 I am uh, seeking him. I am desiring him above all other things. He is the greatest treasure. You can do that simply by praying.
prayer. We'd love to lead you in a prayer. And, um, and there are no religious works you can do uh, that would make God love you more. There, there are no amount of tithing or giving or all these sorts of other things. There is no amount of success in your job that will give you the kind of joy that Jesus will. There's no success in school. There's no amount of followers or relationships you could ever gain. All these things compared to having Christ are like trash. And, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Your eyes are open to see everything else. They're wonderful gifts, but they were never meant to serve and satisfy my heart the way Christ can. How can you do that? You just um, take some moments to pray. I love to lead you in a prayer. They're not magic words, but, but you could repeat something very similar in your heart. And you want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. God, I have treasured all kinds of worldly things. God, I have treasured all kinds of worldly things. But I'm laying them all down. I'm laying them all down. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. God, I give myself completely to you. God, I give myself completely to you. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you laid down your treasure and received Christ, you can rejoice that you are free from sin, you are free from the shackles of it, and that you have God's complete and utter approval for, for life. Not because of anything you have done, but because of the righteousness of Christ. It is all about Jesus. That's what we're all about as a church. We want to celebrate with you. There's a little notification in the chat there. Fill out a connection card. Let us know that you received Christ for the first time. We'd love to help you grow because, man, we, we need to grow in our relationship with Christ. And Satan is certainly going to be upset that you changed teams and, um, and that you have now put on the righteous jersey of Christ and you are playing for God's team uh, to glorify him. And so we'd love to help you uh, navigate that. And so uh, let us know in that. And church family, let's continue to kill the rats. Let's not let them in our lives, these things that steal our joy. And let's continue just to pursue Christ in all that we do. Well, only two hours and 23 minutes. According to the timer up here. I was. Oh, man.